This is Beaver Tales, your weekly dose of successful Canadian immigrant stories. Beaver Tales, hosted by your very own R.B. Welcome to another episode of Beaver Tales with RB. In this episode, I have another Canadian immigrant with me. His name is Mark Zebarth, or I should call Professor Mark Zebarth. He's a colleague of mine. I came across Mark a couple of years ago, and he came forward as a personality who is charming, exuberant, and doesn't like to hide his feelings he is in your face and doesn't like to hide his views as well so I thought he will be an interesting addition to our community of beaver tales and he has a story to share I'll tell you a brief about Mark Mark has been teaching at Okanagan School of Business since 2012 in areas of marketing management entrepreneurship consumer behavior he has an MBA and he has been involved in building and leading business information companies for almost 30 years. He has worked as business employee, manager, executive, owner. He's an entrepreneur himself, owns companies in Canada, and he continues his involvement in private sector as an investor and a consultant to a number of technology, marketing, and hospitality and other entrepreneurial ventures. He's also uh, voted as 2008 Penticton Business Leader of the Year. He's on the advisory board of Unique Victoria, BC, and he is holding different uh, positions in different uh, board of directors or uh, companies as such. And when I asked Mark if he would like to be a participant or an interviewee on my podcast and he had no doubts about it he immediately said yes and here we are I interviewed him and uh, you will listen to that exact interview as it is in the next part of the podcast and I hope you like it and uh, I look forward to your comments you can write us at beavertalesinfo at gmail.com in case you have your views or opinions so let's uh, get on with the interview and let's begin with professor mark zebarth all right mark first of all thanks again for coming for agreeing to be on the show uh i like to ask straight away by asking you like what's your background well who is mark zebarth Great question. I've spent 60 years trying to figure out the answer to that. Um, so I was born and raised in Washington, D.C., in the United States, so mm-hmm. right, right in the center of where all the government craziness happens. And so I grew up in a family where we didn't talk about sports or religion at the table. We talked about politics and government. And, and it was wonderful. It was a great place to grow up. And I spent all of my growing up years and many of my adult years there. And it wasn't until about the age of 40 that I actually 
escaped from there. Um, So I spent, uh, I went to school there, college, graduate school, uh, actually graduated from the George Washington University Mm -hmm. uh, school uh, with my master's sometime in the 80s. It's kind of a fog now. But Mm -hmm. uh, uh, then I went to work for a big business, a company we know as Verizon, Mm -hmm. Uh, Because that's what you do when you get your MBA. You have to go to work for a Fortune 50 company. Um, And I was there a year, and I absolutely hated it. Mm -hmm. Hated it. Too big, too bureaucratic, too slow. And every time I thought I had a good idea, I would have had to file a memo and wait three years for a response. Mm -hmm. So uh, rather than complain about it, I just did something about it, and I left. And I went and joined a small, upstart business publishing company, okay. a business information company, um, and ended up spending the next 11 years working for this company in increasingly responsible positions of management authority and leadership. And it really, it was even more powerful than my MBA training. Okay. It was real world training in searching for people, finding, hiring, training, leading people, looking for market opportunities, identifying uh, gaps, trying to fill them, and converting all of it into commercial success, meaning sales and profits. And the gentleman I worked for was an absolute true entrepreneur, and he would hire a group of us each year, five, six, seven of us, and give us a little piece of the business and say, go grow it, grow, make it better. And we'd have to report back and change things and adjust things and try things. And if we did a really good job, he kept us around. Okay. If you didn't do a good job, you disappeared. Mm-hmm. If you stayed around, you got another year's worth of budget, authority, money, training, etc. And it was, it was not ferocious. I don't mean to say it was do or die. What I mean is it was all about performance. Okay. And so my class, there were six or seven of us, and one or two of us lasted as long as I did, 11 years. Mm-hmm. And then the next year, there would have been five or six more, and then five or six more. And, and he ended up building a business worth, not worth, building generating $330 million a year U.S. in revenues with 1,300 employees mm-hmm. at, at its peak uh, before he ended up selling off the business for personal reasons. Mm-hmm. So after that, I decided I really liked this entrepreneurial thing, and I went and uh, joined a, a basically a startup with Forbes magazine and a technology guru, mm-hmm. uh, and... We ran that business for about three years and had a lot of fun, had a lot of success, uh, attracting lots of subscribers to information on how to invest based on what was happening with technology. Mm. So this would have been during the dot-com explosion, 99 to 2002, somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, And again, we had lots of fun. We did really well. And then we did really, really badly because the whole dot-com world exploded, imploded, melted away. Mm. And uh, there I was, uh, 40-something years old and uh, looking for a job. And so I decided I wanted to not only continue the entrepreneurial path, but I actually wanted to be the owner 
I wanted to own a piece of it rather than just be a high level or senior level leader. Okay. So I went looking for a business to buy. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't have money, but that was not really the issue. I knew that I could run a business. I knew I could manage a business, grow a business if I could find the right one. Mm-hmm. And literally, I found it in the Wall Street Journal. There's an advertisement, three lines saying, here's a business, it's for sale, and here's the number, and here's the person to call. And so I called that person, and it turns out he was the business broker for a business information company mm-hmm. in the workplace safety field. Okay. And it was located in Penticton, British Columbia. <laughs> okay. Now, I'm in Massachusetts at the time. Not I had moved from the United, from Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. I'm in Massachusetts, which is still U.S., still East Coast, still mm-hmm. pretty big city. Okay. And you know, he says Penticton, and I say, "Where is that?" And he says, "Oh, you know, it's right next to Vancouver." So, oh, okay, I've heard of Vancouver. Mm-hmm. So two weeks later, I was on an airplane and I flew into Penticton and met with the owners and met with the broker and you know quickly realized this was a deal that I thought I could get done. And so I ran back to Massachusetts and started working the phones. And I'd like to say we worked the websites, but, you know, we were still kind of figuring websites out and emails and all that. So I really did work the phones and I raised $3.5 million from investors and flew back to Penticton Mm -hmm. a couple months later Mm -hmm. with a check. Mm-hmm. Went went to a lawyer's office, gave other people the check, and they gave me a set of keys. Mm-hmm. And on March first, two thousand three, I walked in the door of a business with about forty employees and a couple million dollars of revenue. Mm-hmm. And I was in charge, and my job was to manage it, grow it, and make that franchise more valuable. Okay. And I spent the next eight or nine years doing exactly that. And mm-hmm. Uh, it was basic blocking and tackling. Um, again, looking at the products we had, pruning a few, uh, improving a few, launching some new ones, hiring people, getting rid of some people, all the things that leaders are expected to do in in business. Mm. My business was and information rather than manufacturing or software or anything like that. It was it's information, and it's usually... Uh, businesses that are buying this with business money. It's not It's not people buying with their own wallet uh, mm-hmm. for a sports magazine or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Pretty, pretty serious stuff. Um, and then after nine years or so, the owners decided they were ready for a new trophy bride. Uh, mm-hmm. And a very long story short, they traded me in for a young man from Amazon. And they brought him up here from Seattle and mm-hmm. uh, I was unceremoniously shown the door Mm -hmm. and uh, he was ceremoniously put on the throne and Mm -hmm. he uh, it did not end well for him but that's not my story Uh, my story is that's when I stuck my head up I had some time and I had some money and I could look around and see what else I wanted to do Mm -hmm. and I assumed I would go buy another business information Mm -hmm. company but a funny thing happened on the way to doing that. I was invited to teach a class at Okanagan College. Okay. So in about 2012-ish, mm-hmm. uh, 
I was looking for another company to buy, but I hadn't found anything. And so I taught my first class at Okanagan College. Okay. And then I taught one more. And then I taught two. And over a period of two years, uh, two and a half years, I guess, I was teaching one or two classes a semester. And then a professor at Okanagan College got very, very ill Mm -hmm. all of a sudden. Early in a semester, mm. and the uh, dean at the time asked me if I could step in and take on a full time role. Okay. And I said, sure. Mm-hmm. And that was 2013, and I have been basically full time at the college ever since. Mm-hmm. But that same year, 2013, I also found another small business information company to purchase. And it was in Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. Again, I went down there, met the, 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 and flew back with a check. She handed me a hard drive. Mm-hmm. I flew back to Penticton, and we started a business the next day. Mm. Penticton doing exactly what she had been doing in Atlanta. Okay. Now, obviously, there's much more to it than that, but that is a small in business information company I still own and still run. It's mm-hmm. in Penticton. We publish information for several different um, business markets. All of our customers are in the United States. Mm-hmm. About 12 employees in Canada, about eight employees in the U.S. Um, and uh, we put on conferences, seminars, mm-hmm. publish reports, mm-hmm. uh, studies. But mostly we create uh, s- s- content on a daily basis that subscribers receive, access, and consume online. And it's all about very specific markets that no one else cares about. Diagnostic laboratories, managing medical offices, managing law offices, things like that. Um, so fascinating to the people who are in that business. Yeah. Um, and hopefully important enough that they pay us for the information. Um, and uh, a very nice business to run because we get to be here in British Columbia while all our customers are down there in the States doing what they do. Okay. So there you have it. I've, I'm, uh, I, I own this small business. Uh, I continue to teach full-time at the college, and um, I wouldn't change anything just about right now. Wow, that's that's an interesting story, Mark. So you moved to Canada in 2003. Correct. And that was with family or you just came along? So in 2003, because I was buying this business in Penticton, British Columbia, that Mm -hmm. already had employees, I was positioned, I was, um, it was determined that I qualified to be an investor. Okay. Immigrant. Mm. And I was granted a work permit Mm. by virtue of investing that $3.5 million into a Canadian company, which is true. And we preserved jobs. We didn't shut it down. We didn't move to the U.S., et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So my my first day here, I basically became a work permit uh, immigrant. Okay. And... That was good for a year, and then I had to renew it, I think, for a second year. But by the second year, I had uh, applied for permanent residency. Mm-hmm. And sometime over the course of a total of four years, from my first day 
until sometime by the end of my third or fourth year, we then qualified for um, uh, permanent residency. And when I say we, it's Mark plus wife plus four children. Okay. At the beginning, I flew up here and I was here by myself for a couple of months uh, and the family didn't arrive until October or no, uh, yeah, October of 20, 2003. Uh, there were some school issues and some house selling issues, but um, uh, I did a little bit of commuting, which was not fun, but uh, uh, you know, for a couple months, you just do what you gotta do. And by the end of 2003, the whole family was here uh, shortly after that, so early 2004, we bought our first house in Canada, and mm -hmm. we're still in that house, and mm -hmm. that's in Summerland, British Columbia, and we we feel like we've uh, died and landed in heaven. <laughs> okay, so it was a commute between Penticton and Massachusetts, if I'm right? Correct. Okay, and, and when you went back, uh, had... Have you been to Canada before you moved to Penticton? I had only visited Vancouver for a trade show uh, roughly 10 years prior. Wow. I, had, I guess I had visited Quebec once before as well, but as a, as a, as a, a tourist. Um, so virtually no experience with Canada. Okay. So when you decided to buy the business, and it's a big $3.5 investment, you must have done some research about Canada and the business uh, scenario, especially in Penticton. What did you find? I did, but you know, it's interesting. Um, because my business serves that business I bought as well as the business I have now, because mm -hmm. those businesses serve US customers, okay. primarily, mm -hmm. um, they can be located anywhere. Okay. I, I, no, I shouldn't say that. Because the businesses can be located anywhere, mm -hmm. uh, we have lots of flexibility, lots of choices. Our customers do not come visit us. They don't care where we are. It's irrelevant. All they care about is that the content we create mm -hmm. is delivered to them, is accessible by them. Mm -hmm. That's what I mean to say. And uh, therefore, we can choose to run the business in places that a lot of people would not choose to operate. And this is, for those who don't know, Penticton is, has historically been a retirement area and a vacation area for Canadians, especially Albertans and British Columbians. Mm -hmm. And while Kelowna has enjoyed tremendous growth over the last 30 years, Penticton has not. It's a sleepy little town. So mm -hmm. on the surface, I would never have chosen Penticton to launch a business, mm -hmm. but that wasn't the way it played out. I went looking for a business first. Okay. The one I found that fit all my parameters was in mm -hmm. Penticton, and only then did I do a little research and figure out, hey, this is a pretty nice place. It's quiet, it's small, there's no traffic, it's got these beautiful lakes, these mountains, these wineries. And it was like, hey, these are all bonuses. There's no downside here. So it ended up being what I call a hidden pony. Okay. So you go, you go buy a horse, and you know what you're doing, and you buy the horse, and you love it, and you get the horse back to the farm, and a week later you find out the horse is pregnant, <laughs> and a couple months later you get an extra horse. <laughs> well, that's how I felt about buying this business. We got the business we wanted, and then the area ended up being a 
unexpected bonus. Okay. So did you tell the same thing when you went back and told your family about Penticton? Oh, yes. Yes. And, and they came up here and, you know, uh, the, the, the oldest student, the oldest child had the hardest time adjusting because he had to unplug himself the most from Massachusetts. But uh, the wife, no problem. Me, no problem. It was just, it was a, it was a wonderful change of scenery uh, and everything. Okay. So wife came, kids came, and you settled in Penticton, and you have ever never left that place, the place you bought initially. And yeah, to, to be fair, we settled as a family in Summerland, which is 15 kilometers north of Penticton, 30 kilometers south of Kelowna, yeah. uh, and a very nice place to be in between the two. Yeah. Um, but the business has always operated, businesses have always operated in Penticton because there's there are more employee opportunities there <laughs> and more office space to rent, that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, it's perfectly fine. This is not a rip-roaring, exciting, uh, state-of-the-art town. It's mm. a small town that has all sorts of issues, but none of those issues really affect my business. So I, I, get, I get to ignore them for the most part. Okay, so that was economically or business-wise, you had a perfect match, but what about uh, the social life? Like, you must have friends and family in, in Massachusetts and coming out in Penticton. Were you able to make friends and uh, acquaintances easily, or was it like they say, Okanagan is a clique place, so it takes a little bit of time to break in? Well, I, I think that's probably true uh, upon reflection. But it's funny, my wife and I were talking about it this morning. I am a very, very social guy to begin with. Mm. And more importantly, I work very well at keeping in touch with people. Okay. It's just one of the things I do. And so I am still in touch with half a dozen, or a little, a little more than that, about a dozen mm. gentlemen that I went to grade school and high school with back in Washington, D.C., we get together about once a year in Washington. We mm. keep in touch, all that. I keep in touch with people from college. I keep in touch with people from the, that company I worked for for 11 years. Um, it's just part of what I am. And so when I plugged in, to, when I landed in British Columbia, in Penticton, uh, I had plenty of people within the business that I had to be in touch with and all that. So I wasn't looking for business friends. They didn't mm -hmm. need that. But... My family and I moved into this town called Summerland, and we were looking for family friends. And so that came to us through our church. We're involved in the Catholic church. We plugged into the local Catholic church, and we quickly uh, were uh, accepted into and made to feel comfortable within the, the broad uh, community of Catholic school, Catholic church people there. And there are five or six families there that we are very close to now, and that has been the bedrock of our non-work social existence mm -hmm. since we've been in British Columbia. Okay. The only addition to that is that I now have a whole uh, cadre of friendships through Okanagan College, mm -hmm. of which I would consider you being one of them. Thank These you. are 
these are business friends, of course, but um, it's it's a wonderful addition to the to the life here in Okanagan College. Because as you know, us college professors are pretty pretty spectacular, aren't we? Yeah, we are, and I second that. I, right. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. So, my question then here is like. Uh, you came to Summerland, or before you moved to Canada, you must have some preconceived notion. You must have heard about Canada. What were those preconceived notions that you had, and how many of them turned out to be true or false? <laughs> well, um, I'm chuckling because, as an American, first, I'm mm -hmm. I'm, I'm both an American and a Canadian by uh, citizenship now. Yeah. Um, but as a as an American, first, it's important for your listeners to know that we Americans don't think about Canada much at all. Okay. It's that blank space in between the 48 lower states and Alaska. Okay. <laughs> we don't, we, it just doesn't enter our consciousness. Now that's not good. I don't like it. It's unfair, but that's just, so, so that we didn't have any preconceived notions about Canada before moving up here. Mm -hmm. We didn't have any notions at all. Okay. Obviously, we had heard of Vancouver. We had heard of Calgary Olympics. We had heard of you know maple syrup from Ontario, uh, Quebec. Quebec. Yeah. But but almost nothing else because we didn't have to learn. Whereas we found out Canadians know everything about the U.S. and they have an opinion about it. Mm -hmm. um, so we really didn't have many preconceived notions and when we got here we were very pleasantly surprised by the weather mm -hmm. the climate mm -hmm. the terrain the wineries the people all those things we were less pleasantly surprised by the the political and the well the political climate which in canada is a lot more uh communitarian okay. there are a lot of lot more interest in people looking up to a leader mm -hmm. to be told what to do now i don't mean that in a bad way i just think that it's it, the u.s is the the individual mm -hmm. and canada takes a much more community or uh joint approach a social almost a small s socialist approach okay think yeah. of think of medicine mm. uh, and there are good things and bad things all that but there is much more deflection to authority in canada mm. and that's probably the thing i've had the hardest time uh adjusting to and coming to grips with okay. not much to complain about mm -hmm, mm -hmm. all right so has anything changed over the past 15, 16 years you have stayed there, here, or it's it's still the same? When you... you know, I think I'm actually more, I am more Canadian. Okay. And when I arrived here, mm. I have an appreciation for socialized medicine, certainly at the basic level, mm -hmm. whereas I think Canadians generally need to get an appreciation for private medicine especially at the non-basic level okay. and so my solution of course is the best of both worlds but you know uh i'm not sure that's going to happen in canada uh I, but i have actually become more um considerate i think and aware of minorities 
multicultural issues, mm-hmm. uh, social issues, whether it's LGBT or all those other things. Um, partly because I'm getting older, partly because I have more time to think about these things and mm. encounter these things, but also partly because Canada accommodates all of these differences openly. Not, not I don't mean more than the U.S. or less than the U.S. I just mean it's just part of the fabric here. And mm. I am much more attuned to all of that than I ever thought I would be. Mm. I'd like to uh, delve a little more on when you say I'm a more Canadian. What do you mean, mean by being Canadian? Well, keep in mind that the contrast for me is what it means to be American. And, okay. Yep. Uh, 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 for me, that's that's uh, individual freedom, um, s- strong defense of our country and its founding principles and all of that. And I come to Canada and I realize, hey, this is not the United States. Yes, it's America. It's still part of America, but it's not the United States. The United States is very different. Here, it's much more communitarian, much Mm -hmm. more, um, as I said, uh, willing to deflect to authority or kneel to authority and Mm -hmm. uh, much more interested in joint community solutions to things. And that was all very foreign to me generally as a philosophy. There There are plenty of places in the U.S. that are more or less authoritarian and such. Don't get me wrong, but but I have had to, I have migrated in my views uh, from being, you know, one hundred percent classic American to being fifty percent classic American and fifty percent Canadian. So it's it's not that I've gone the complete other end of the pendulum, mm-hmm. but. I, and I don't expect I ever will, but I, I appreciate things in Canada that I never thought I would appreciate. Okay. Uh, and I retain a lot of uh, inclinations from the U.S. that I never want to relinquish. Mm-hmm. And how about the family and the kids? Like, uh, how do they correlate Canada? Or they had uh, notions and have they changed? Or they are uh, more into Canada or America, if I have some... <laughs> Putting in so I have four children and the youngest is very, very tied into Canada and doesn't really know the, the U.S. at all. She was only three when she moved up here. The other three are older. So the oldest would be 31, then there's 29, then there's 26, something like that. And those three are very aware of the differences. They still miss a lot of unique things about the U.S. Okay. And one of them has moved back to California, to the U.S., lives mm-hmm. in California. Uh, another one is a ICU nurse here in British Columbia, and mm-hmm. she is planning to move to California to okay. be near her brother and to live differently for a while. Mm-hmm. And third child is uh, thinking of moving down there. Mm-hmm. So it is possible that by the end of this year, three of my four children will be back in the U.S. Mm. and they will appreciate things about Canada that they that most of their colleagues don't know about. Mm. And they will be grateful to be back in the U.S. to enjoy some of the things they'd like to enjoy down there. Mm. there it, it, 
if you are educated and if you are uh, certain other things, uh, California and specifically the Silicon Valley area is yeah. just a wonderful, crazy, good place to be. Mm -hmm. uh, you can make lots of money. You can live a very attractive lifestyle, et cetera, et cetera. So one of them's already doing it. Two more want to try it. It's like, go give it a try while you can. Uh, we'll support you and do not give up your Canadian citizenship because after a couple of years of that traffic and that smog and that rat race, mm -hmm. you may want to come back here. Yeah. Great. Great. I, I would love to be a fly on the wall, especially when you guys are having the dinner and, and listen to your political conversations, especially if there are elections around in States or in Canada, like what sort of uh, discussions are going around? Who's, who's talking about uh, what and uh, what views are there? That would be an interesting conversation in my opinion. <laughs> well, it would be for some people. For other people, they would run out of the house screaming. <laughs> Because our household is a very small C conservative, mm. very small R Republican mm. household. Now, we actually are smart enough to vote the candidate, not the party necessarily. Yeah. But I'm a Harper conservative. Mm -hmm. I am not a Trudeau liberal. And all that mean, all I mean by that is that I prefer a government that spend takes less of my money, mm -hmm. gives me more freedom, mm -hmm. represents a strong uh, Canada to the rest of the world, mm -hmm. but runs its business straightforwardly and cleanly. Et I do not want a government dictating social policy to me and telling mm -hmm. me what I can and cannot do. And so, so. Translate that to the U.S., and that is generally Republican, generally conservative, but it's not always. And you look at today's uh, issues in the U.S., a gentleman named Joe Biden has just announced that he's going to run for yeah. president against Mr. Trump. Yeah. Joe Biden is what we call a centrist Democrat, mm -hmm. and he has a really, really hard job of trying to win his own party's nomination mm. because his own party has moved left under uh, over the last few years. Mm. And that's, uh, I don't think that's a good idea, but it is what it is. And so we're going to end up with a further left wing candidate fighting Mr. Trump, who is not my favorite uh, leader, but, um, uh, he's certainly going to run for re-election. Of course. <laughs> so this is what we talk about at our dinner table, even today, all the time. And <laughs> it is fascinating for those who appreciate and enjoy the discussion. And we welcome all views at the table, and everyone is welcome. But, but uh, a lot of times, people who disagree with us are not interested in hearing our views. Mm. And that's okay. Um, that's fine. I, I agree to an extent, especially in terms of Canadian colleagues, that I don't want someone to remind me every day, every time, that what's it being a Canadian? I know what's it being a Canadian. I have read, I can read, I, I know I have lived over here. Like every day you remind me, okay, these are essentials or, or features of being Canadian. No, I don't want to be told that. Thank you. Right. Right. Exactly. So, Part of the, the magic here as well as in the U.S., is we get to actually decide ourselves mm -hmm. exactly what being Canadian means. 
because uh, it there is it is big enough and broad enough that it can mean many things to many different people. Exactly, exactly, agree. So uh, there are so many immigrants coming from different parts of the world to Canada, and and I know for sure because uh, back in India there are people who have high aspirations and who put Canada in high regard. And since I've uh, arrived here, I've met people from other countries and nationalities who also tell the same thing that there are people back home who want to arrive uh, and, and dream of a beautiful life in Canada. So what are what will be your suggestion to people who want to immigrate to Canada from any part of the world? Yeah, so it's a fascinating question uh, because the uh, European countries and the U.S. and many other places are having serious challenges around the whole question of immigration, legal and otherwise. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I, I, I like to remind people that the U.S. and Canada wouldn't exist without immigration. We would have, we would have shriveled up long ago. Mm -hmm. And our countries are so big mm -hmm. geographically and our economies are so big, we need lots more immigration. Mm -hmm. We need lots of young Indians, Chinese, and Sri Lankans and whomever to come here and support my retirement. Because mm -hmm. it's not right. <laughs> we, need, <laughs> we need to plug lots of people in to keep the wheels going. It's and a win -win. That should work for everyone's benefit. Yeah. No, I agree. But what would you suggest them if they are planning to be here as a Canadian immigrant and Canadian citizen now for 16 years? What would you tell them? Oh, well, what would I tell the potential immigrants yep. or the government? Because, potential immigrants. Um, because I think the governments in U.S. and Canada should be doing everything in their power to mm. invite, attract, and keep smart, educated, hardworking immigrants and make it as easy as possible for them to come here, stay here, and succeed here. Mm -hmm. So I would tell the potential immigrants, the best thing you could do is get to North America. Probably, and for economic reasons, probably not Mexico. Mm -hmm. But if you can get into the U.S. or Canada, however you do it, mm -hmm. do it. It's the golden ticket. It, I mean, in the scheme of things, over the last... 30,000 years, however long men and women have been running around this planet, mm -hmm. there is no greater wealth creation engine than Canada and the U.S. Agree. Over the last however many years. So if you're living on an island in the Pacific and you want to improve your life, there are a variety of things you can do, but the single best, no, not best, the, the one thing you can do which will give you the highest probability of commercially improving your life is to move to North America. Okay. So, I, but I couple that with the fact that we need a government to recognize that we yeah. need lots more immigrants than we currently have. Mm -hmm. And I make a big distinction between illegal immigrants and immigrants. Of okay, course we have to. I'm talking about legal immigrants. Yeah. 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 So Mark, one final question before uh, we close this episode is uh, where do you see yourself as Mark after five years? You mean from today, five years forward five from today? Years from today, yeah. Yeah, I, I will have sold my publishing business. I will have retired from the, from the battles of 
business information, and uh, I will be hopefully in good health. And assuming I'm in good health, I will be teaching at Okanagan College uh, as much as they will allow me to, because as you may agree, there is a tremendous satisfaction and reward that comes from working with these 20 to 30 year olds in a classroom college setting. They're old enough that they're serious about what they're doing. They're young enough that they still have dreams and ideas and we get to help point them in the right direction and mm -hmm. sometimes kick them in the rear end to get going towards that. And it's all I want to do for the rest of my professional career. Mm -hmm. And uh, personally, uh, we have already landed in the place we want to spend the rest of our life. This is a beautiful part of the world. We might do some more travel. We might go have the kids down in California that we have to go see. But this is it. Mm -hmm. Living the dream. Yep, exactly. Hey, thanks a lot, Mark. Thanks a lot for your time today. You're welcome, sir. Appreciate you coming on to the show and sharing your opinions and respect totally. And I agree to a lot of them. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity. And um, I love to hear other people's opinions as well. And even if they disagree, we have great fun engaging in the debate. So when you come over to my house for dinner, Rishi, you will, you will experience it yourself. I will, for sure. Thanks, Mark. All righty. Bye now. Bye. Take care. See you soon. Well, I hope you liked this part of the podcast with Professor Mark Zebarth. If you have any views, any opinions about it, please do write to us at beavertalesinfo at gmail.com. Until then, until the next episode, this is RB signing off Beaver Tales. This is Beaver Tales, your weekly dose of successful Canadian immigrant stories. Beaver Tales, hosted by your very own R.B.